It is Thursday, August 12th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And it's been a while since we did one of these, Jared, but we, we've got a lot going on at DraftSharks.com lately. We've drafted five of six DS Invitational Leagues. We have streamed every one of those drafts right here over the past week and a half. We got one more of those coming tonight. So come on back for that one. We posted two of our big three annual articles this week, the breakout pick on Monday, the first round bust on Wednesday. Our sleepers article hit the site on Tuesday. That same day I had JJ Zacharyson on the podcast, Uh, you know, plenty more sprinkled in throughout. So lots going on. It's been a little tough to find the time to get this last division preview in. And we got undervalued players hitting the site today. We got overvalued players coming tomorrow. We got the perfect draft articles coming next week. So we're rocking here. I'm, I'm a little worried that i'm already as exhausted as i am and it's only you know in the middle of august we got we got you know five months to go but yeah we're we're uh we're turning everything out here it feels good well we'll be taking a breath and doing player projections for each week in in no time at this point (laughs) exactly and we've still got preseason games to really get started we got one last week but we've got the first full slate of them starting tonight and through this weekend so Lots going on. You should head to DraftSharks.com, check it all out, become a DS Insider so you can get access to everything that we're doing on there. But as I said, we are here primarily to do the final episode of the Division Preview Series. We already did seven of the eight divisions. The last is the AFC East. Uh, That is going to be today's focus. And it starts with your 2020 Division Champions, the Buffalo Bills. Jared, anything relevant on the coaching change front with the Bills? No coaching changes here, which is a good thing. And I think it's definitely a mark in favor of this offense. We have uh, Sean McDermott back as head coach, Brian Dable back to run the offense for his fourth season in Buffalo. And, you know, we know how good this Bills offense was last year in in real life and fantasy football. Uh, The Bills finished second in total yards. They were second in points. They were fifth in football outsiders, offensive DVOA, 11th in situation neutral pace. So, you know, they, they ran a bunch of plays. Um, and they, of course, were one of the past heaviest offenses in the NFL. They they actually finished just 12th in pass rate, uh, but they were third in situation neutral pass rate. You know, just the fact that they were they went 13 and three and played with so many leads. I think it actually, you know, it brought the pass rate down a little bit. So you know, as we get into 21, 2021 projections here, I actually have them passing a bit more this season. Just, you know, I, I think it's likely that, you know, they take a step back in the win loss department, probably find themselves trailing a bit more this season. The rise in passing rate for the Bills last year was, was a shock to us all, really. I mean, you know, in, in hindsight, you can see why they did it, but it surprised us all at the time. Only San Francisco, Pittsburgh, and Houston saw a bigger increase in passing share last year than the Bills did. The 49ers went 6-10. and 10, The Texans went 4-12. and 12, The Steelers then fired their offensive coordinator at the end of the season. So, I mean, if you look at those four teams – you might say the Bills are the only of the four to actually do it on purpose, passing the ball that much more often. So for projecting them, I, I just stuck with the 60-40 split from last season. Um, you know, We'll see where it goes from there, but I, I can understand why they got to that number, and I think they're still built to do it similarly. Yeah, again, I, I took them up to a 61.5% pass, just you know, projecting a, a, a bit more negative game script for them, which it might not be the case. I think they're going to be good again. But, they also, you know, again, they went 13-3 and three last year. It's tough to project them to do that again. Plus, I mean, if they are as good again record-wise, 
it's not like they're not going to be succeeding offensively. So even if they're passing the ball a little bit less, they're probably doing it efficiently. So I think anything in that range is just fine for projecting those numbers. Yep. QB notes, Josh Allen went from, you know, the rushing makes him good in fantasy before last year to just bonafide stud quarterback last season. He completed the biggest accuracy turnaround for any quarterback in NFL history. The Bills then obviously believed in it and rewarded him with the second largest QB contract ever, only a little bit behind Patrick Mahomes in the same offseason. If you check our quarterback rankings and Josh Allen's ADP, it's clear that everybody believes in him at this point. I guess, Jared, my question is, this past year it was Josh Allen. The year before it was Lamar Jackson making the Mm -hmm. big leap in terms of where they sit among fantasy quarterbacks. Is there a higher floor for Josh Allen this year than there was for Lamar Jackson last year? Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the the argument against Allen's floor is like, do you totally believe in the turnaround? You know, this guy goes from a you know sub sixty percent completion rate guy throughout his college and first two NFL seasons, and all of a sudden he's you know up around seventy percent. I I kind of buy into it just you know watching him play and you read some of the stuff he's done with like mechanics and working with different quarterback gurus and all that stuff. Um, and again, I think continuity is a big mark in favor of this offense. Same offensive system. Allen returns his top two wide receivers in, in Diggs and Beasley from last year. So I I'm kind of buying into it. I, I just think the risk with Allen is that you know last year was kind of the outlier if you look at his entire football career so far. Yeah, I mean, I believe in the work that was put in to get him there. I believe in the coaching staff and I believe in the surrounding talent. So Mm -hmm. I'm fine betting on the passing to continue. I I think one risk with him is that the rushing touchdowns, you know, go away. And I I don't, none of us expects Josh Allen to run the ball significantly less. I think he'll still be in those goal line plans and, you know, call his own number near the goal line, but, you know, sheer luck could take three rushing touchdowns off his number. I I think really the biggest knock on Josh Allen is he's second in what's a pretty tightly packed top you know, five, six, seven, depends on exactly who you like, but a fairly packed top group at quarterback. Yeah. And he, you know, he is second in our rankings right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, I'll take Allen if he, you know, ends up is the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board, but you know, in most cases he, he tends to go before that. I'd rather just wait, you know, half a round or a round for a Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray. Uh, yeah. The, the rushing touchdowns, you know, eight of them last year that probably project that to come down a bit, but you know, he, the bills do use him, as they're going back, you know, he, he led the bills and in carries inside the five last year with nine of them. That was second most among quarterbacks. So and maybe he doesn't score eight times again, but I do think he's a good bet for, you know, five or six at least. Yeah. Not to mention if he shaves a couple off that, maybe he's throwing the ball a little bit more in the red zone. So, sure. I mean, really no big concerns about Josh Allen overall, even if he doesn't finish second, it's tough to imagine him finishing lower than, you know, fifth or sixth barring injury. Yep. Running back notes. It's a worthwhile competition. I'm not sure how much of a competition it is. There hasn't been much buzz from it that I've seen, at least. And really, it might not ultimately matter too much because of the Josh Allen factor we just talked about near the goal line. I don't know that anybody in this backfield has 10-plus touchdown upside. I don't know that anybody in this backfield is going to catch 60 passes. So it probably doesn't really matter that much. Now, it's Zach Moss versus Devin Singletary, basically for our purposes. I'm not even sure the Bills consider it a competition. Brian Dable said to the Buffalo News earlier this month uh, about what he wants from his running backs, gain yards, gain yards, know who to block, and block them in pass protection. So that seems like it could be a mark in Zach Moss's favor. He rated much better than Devin Singletary in pass protection last year, according to Pro Football Focus Grading. Moss actually spent a higher percentage of his offensive snaps in pass protection than Singletary did as well. Also graded out a little bit better as a receiver. So 
you know, maybe that's the edge that gets Zach Moss on the field a little bit more, gives him more fantasy upside than Devin Singletary. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the word out of Bill's camp early on was that Moss was out playing Singletary. And then, you know, yesterday, Wednesday, August 11, you know, Moss goes down with the, the hamstring injury. Of course. I um, mean, you know, durability was the biggest question on him coming into the league. So, you know, that that's, that's worrisome. We'll, we'll see how long he's out for. I, I do think Moss is the upside play here. He could add to that receiving total, but Beyond that, I mean, he, you know, Allen led the Bills with nine carries inside the five. Moss had eight, though. Singletary was down at three. So, it, you know, it was Allen and Moss at the goal line. So I do think, you know, in in this high-scoring offense, like Zach Moss could score seven or eight times this season. And if he does that, he's probably going to beat ADP. So that's that's kind of the upside with him. Um, I, I do think it's going to remain a committee, though. I don't think that Devin Singletary is going away. And then, I mean, you, you do have Matt Breda, too. I mean, you know, there, there, there are Matt Breda fans out there. He's kind of disappointed throughout his career so far, but you know he, he's there and you know could potentially turn this into a, a three-man backfield. Well, here's the thing: is Matt Breida. I mean, I guess at this point you have to look at his career as a positive, considering he arrived as an undrafted free agent. But he did his stuff with the 49ers, who just, I mean, they make running backs blossom. Yeah. So the Niners then traded him to Miami. Miami, after trading a draft pick to get Matt Breida, dumped him at the end of the, the first season and, you know, pushed him down the depth chart behind Miles Gaskin and other guys before dumping him. So at this point, Matt Breida's got to show me in the regular season a reason to believe in him or at the very least get to the end of the preseason with the Bills talking him up as a factor. I, I'm not interested in Breida in fantasy drafts right now. Moss versus Singletary. I agree that Moss is the higher upside play really because I think he's more of the power back and has the better chance of scoring Mm -hmm. those touchdowns. Like you said, the bills like Singletary to some degree. I'm not sure how much they like him, especially if you look at the end of last year, when Zach Moss went down in the playoffs, Devin Singletary got 38% of bills carries while Moss was out in those playoff games. I mean, you know, that's a small sample and they didn't do much to address that backfield since then. So I, they're probably not too worried about Devin Singletary, but that makes me lean toward Moss, and I, I'm not particularly interested in taking Singletary if they don't trust him near the goal line. Yeah, I mean, there, there were games where TJ Yeldon was playing ahead of Singletary late last year, right? So it does kind of feel like the Bills might have, might have kind of soured on Singletary at this point. So it's, it's, it's not a backfield I'm targeting heavily in drafts, but you know, Moss is definitely the Bills running back I'm more interested in. Yeah, I'm not chasing anybody up the board, but it's Moss and very little Singletary. For me. Singletary is kind of like Chase Edmonds, but without the receiving upside. Yeah, yep. That makes sense. Pass catcher notes, Stephon Diggs became an alpha in his first season in Buffalo last year. Only Devontae Adams beat him in target share league-wide. Diggs tied for fourth in producing top-shelf weeks among wide receivers, according to our wide receiver scoring review. Slightly lower in putting up top 12 weeks, tied for sixth in that category, so... Not certainly not terrible. Only Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Calvin Ridley edged uh, Stephon Diggs in putting up top 24 weeks among PPR receivers. Yeah, and he, you know, he does that all in his first year with a new team and, you know, an offseason that was impacted by COVID. So super impressive. I don't expect much to change for Diggs as far as volume and efficiency goes this season. I mean, a Buffalo just basically replaced John Brown with Emmanuel Sanders and, and everything else is kind of the same in this wide receiver core. The, the one, the, the kind of, Spot where Diggs has room for growth, I think, is in the touchdown department. He only scored on 6% of his catches last season. You know, that's well below the average for wide receivers. You know, Diggs had an 8% touchdown rate across his five seasons in Minnesota. And it wasn't really for a lack of opportunity. He, he was sixth 
uh, among wide receivers in red zone targets last season. So he just, I think he just got a bit unlucky in the touchdown department. So, you know, th- you know he, he has the upside to score 10 times in this offense. And we know that he can talk. So maybe he can try to talk Josh Allen into calling his own number less near the goal line and tossing it digs his way a little bit more. Yep. Cole Beasley was a solidly reliable wide receiver three last year. He, his biggest contribution to the off season has been as a vaccine denier. And we won't debate that on this particular show, but I do think that it is leading Cole Beasley to be underrated in fantasy drafts at this point. Now he's not a league winner, so I don't think it's that big a deal, but he was top 36 in eight of his 15 games last year. Now he's going in the fifties and ADP. Yeah. I mean, he, he you know, he, he's going to beat that price tag and, I don't know if it's the vaccine stuff or just the fact that it's Cole Beasley. Like he's just not an exciting guy to draft him. He's like a poor man's Jarvis Landry. Like, you know, drafters just don't get excited about that. But again, I mean, you know, there's not much change here. You know, maybe like Emmanuel Sanders steals some of Beasley's target share. I think they're going to kind of work in similar areas. I think, you know, Sanders is kind of that shorter range guy too at this point of his career. Um, But I don't think Beasley's role is going to, change much so again you know he he's a valley where he's going he's a good guy just to have on your bench you know especially you know talking full ppr leagues just you know even in best ball to kind of lay a floor weekly and then in lineup setting leagues like you probably don't want to be starting him every week but it's a bye week option i think you know he's a guy you can count on for like four to six targets or four to six catches every game yeah i mean he's a, a no-brainer at cost in best ball because uh, you have to not believe in the Bills' offense to not believe that Cole Beasley will pay yep. off at his price tag, you know, unless you just think that the Bills are going to cut him. I, I've honestly not bought that storyline at any point, uh, regardless of how much of a pain he is about the vaccination stuff. Emmanuel Sanders drawing positive reviews from camp. Bills obviously like him. He, he's probably he's probably a better player than Cole Beasley, even at this point in late in Emmanuel Sanders' career. But he is 34 his price has not gotten too high, so I like Emmanuel Sanders, and I think his price in drafts has been suppressed by kind of a surprising number of people liking Gabe Davis. Yeah, and I was I was interested in Davis early on, um, even after they signed Sanders, you know, just kind of not knowing what the wide receiver rotation would look like. But it, it sure sounds like it's going to be Diggs, Sanders, and Beasley as the top three. I think you know Buffalo kind of at least for now, wants to just keep Davis in that situational deep threat red zone role, kind of, you know, what he played last year, at least when John Brown was healthy. So I I think Sanders is at least, you know, the third best wide receiver option in fantasy football in the bills. And, you know, I think there's a chance he outscores Cole Beasley. Like you said, you know, Sanders 34. Now he was still good last year, though, 23rd in yards per route run among 84 wide receivers with 50 plus targets. Um, You know, the, the bills, there's been, there's been stories that, you know, they've kind of had their eye on Sanders for multiple seasons now. They finally get him in free agency. He gets, you know, $6 million, a decent-sized contract for 2021. So, yeah, he, he's a guy I've been drafting quite a bit. You know, he go, he still goes outside the top 50 wide receivers in ADP. Yeah, the downside risk on Beasley is that we didn't really get to see last year what it looked like with Diggs in there, with a healthy John Brown, and with Beasley to see what his target share looked mm-hmm. like in that scenario. The way the Bills operated this offseason indicates that they think Emmanuel Sanders is at least a slight upgrade on John Brown because they gave John Brown the boot and then signed Emmanuel Sanders for, you know, decent money. I think it was, what, like five or six million dollars on a one year deal. So he's clearly, you know, a short term solution, but a guy that they like in that short term. And that's what suppresses Gabe Davis for me. 
Yeah, Sanders got six million. Like I think it was like fully guaranteed on his contract. So a pretty nice deal. He he too just he just seems like a good fit in this offense. Like Sanders, I think is like the the older version of Steph Diggs. I think they have similar games, you know, kind of similar builds. They're I think they're both good route runners, you know, more short intermediate guys. So I, I just think Sanders fits what the Bills like to do in their passing game. Gabriel Davis did awesome with touchdowns as a rookie, um, certainly produced more than any of us was really expecting, but saw just 10.4% target share. That was with John Brown battling injuries through basically the whole season. The the Gabriel Davis case feels a little bit like Robert Foster from a couple of years ago with the Bills to me. Yeah, I mean, Davis to me is like a wide receiver handcuff. If any of those top three guys go down, he becomes, you know, close to a full-time player in this excellent passing game. So that, then you're going to want him. But, you know, if he's the fourth wide receiver, he's just not going to be on the field enough to be someone we can trust. Yeah, and I think that his his ADP, at least on underdog, has now climbed past uh, handcuff territory when he's going ahead of Cole Beasley and I think Emmanuel Sanders even. Yeah, that, that just, you know, I, I just think you're kind of not paying attention if you're drafting Davis over those guys. Right. Dawson Knox. Nothing special. A tight end three, I think, for best ball teams and really not even particularly attractive there. We'll see if his offseason work on his hands helps. I guess he got a hand-eye coordinator coach or coordination coach. You know, we'll see if that does anything. I think there's a non-zero chance that Jacob Hollister outscores him this year, though. Yeah, it's possible. I still think there's a chance the Bills end up with Zach Ertz at some point. You know, and even beyond that, you know, Bills tight ends combined for 66 targets last year despite you know again them being one of the past heaviest offenses in the nfl so just not a, not a situation i'm interested in who i like there aren't many bills that i'm actively targeting here just because i think that they're mostly appropriately priced zach moss was one of my favorite early targets he hasn't been as much lately basically because the early running backs have gotten pushed down in drafts so i find myself drafting you know three or even four early in drafts and then just not looking at the position in the range where moss is going now yeah, I'm with you there. I'm not super interested in Moss. I mean, he's okay if I, if I need like a fourth running back at that point. Emmanuel Sanders is definitely my favorite. Just pure value on the Bills. He's wide receiver 64 in ADP right now. You know, Cole Beasley, wide receiver 56. He's fine. Um, and then, you know, Allen and, and Diggs, Diggs especially, like as a, you know, late first, early second round pick, I just think he's he's super safe. Again, there's just so much continuity here. I really think he's just going to, you know, he's going to have a similar season to what he did last year. And again, there's upside for a few extra touchdowns this year yeah when you come in and command that kind of target share immediately you're deandre hopkins yep who i don't like gabriel davis is really the only guy that i don't like at cost here yep davis and the uh, tight end situation miami dolphins coaching changes the dolphins head into year three under head coach brian flores but it'll be the third straight year of new offensive coordinators it was chad o'shea in 2019 it was chan gailey last year now it's a combo platter of George Godsey and Eric Studsville. So it's time to get excited about that one. And I'm going to go ahead and call him Studsville, even if it's pronounced differently. The official titles for the guys are Godsey is the co-offensive coordinator and tight ends coach. Studsville is co-OC and running backs coach. The team apparently will not tell us who's calling plays. I guess we'll find out Saturday when they face the Bears. Although I'm fully expecting this team to have them both whispering with something up in front of their mouths so that we can't actually tell who's sending the plays into the quarterback. It seems like the move that a former Belichick uh, assistant, Brian Flores, would do. Godsey has called plays in the NFL before, so shouldn't be surprised if it ends up being him. He served as OC in Houston in 2015 and 16. Studsville has coached running backs for a long time. He was the interim head coach for a brief period for the 2010 Broncos after Josh McDaniels got fired. So, you know, we'll see where things go with these guys. Yeah, and even Godsey's time in Houston was under Bill O'Brien, who, you know, I, I think he probably had a pretty big say in that offense. I don't know, the, the whole 
the whole co-OC thing kind of has me uneasy. Like, you know, the, the, the saying about quarterbacks, if you have two two quarterbacks, you have none. Like, is it, I don't know, if you have two OCs, you have none. Um, so that, that that's kind of my you know, biggest concern with this Dolphins offense, which otherwise you know, I'm kind of optimistic about. Yeah, I mean, there are things to be optimistic about. There are also things to be concerned about. So I, we'll get more into that as we go forward. The run-pass split, uh, both of these OCs have operated in offenses that offenses that ran about 58-42 in pass-run split to this point. Last year's Dolphins actually went 58-42. So I landed on 59-41 when I was doing my numbers, but I think anywhere in that area is a, a good a good level for expectations. Yep, I went 58.5% pass. Um, I was actually kind of surprised to see Miami was seventh in situation neutral pass rate last season. You know, again, that was under a different offensive coordinator. But, you know, they did make two big additions to this wide receiver core. You know, you have two, uh, a, a, you know, top pick entering year two. So I think, I think there's a chance they, you know, lean on the pass a bit more than they did last season. Yeah, and I mean, it's worth noting that for last year's team, they imported Jordan Howard and Matt Breida and then clearly didn't like what they got in both of those guys. They lost Miles Gaskin for six games. So maybe they wanted to run more than they did and they just couldn't because of what they had in that offense. Yep, that's fair. QB notes, Tua Tungavailoa took over as the starter in week eight last year, but took over might be a little bit strong because Ryan Fitzpatrick stepped in for him at Denver in week 11, stepped in for him at Vegas in week 16. So they always had somebody warming up in the bullpen, even while Tua was working for that team. Tua averaged just 200 and a half passing yards per game as a starter last year, 35th among 44 qualifiers in on-target pass rate, according to Pro Football Reference. I don't think Tua brings the rushing to be a truly intriguing fantasy QB, but there's a good group of pass catchers this season. Yeah, so th- there's nothing you can point to from Tua last year to like get you optimistic for this year. I- I'm just I'm just kind of willing to give him a mulligan. Like he, you know, he's a rookie in a weird offseason, coming off that serious hip injury. Uh, Miami's offensive line was not good; they were 21st in PFFs pass blocking grades. The-, the pass catching core was weak, especially you know when you had Devontae Parker missing a couple games, Preston Williams missed, you know, the entire second half of the season. So th- there were definitely excuse- excuses for Tua. Um, you know, you, you look back at his prospect profile, like fifth overall pick of his draft, you know, set Alabama school records for, for passing yards and touchdowns as a sophomore. I uh, was really on a similar pace as a junior before that that uh, hip injury. So I, I still have some optimism here. I, I'm with you. He's not going to put up big rushing numbers. I think he can give you like two, 300 yards, though, and a couple of scores. You know, he's not a statue in the pocket. And then, you know, again, you throw in the additions of Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell, and this suddenly looks like, you know, what, what could be a pretty strong wide receiver core. So, you know, two is a guy I, I like. He's cheap enough where I like him. You're, you don't have to draft him as your starter. You can you know, take him as your quarterback, too, in best ball or just a backup in lineup setting leagues. And I do think there's some upside where, you know, he could at least be like a nice – spot start option in, in fantasy this season. Yeah, I'm fine with him as a best ball QB. I think I'm less interested as a fantasy backup just because I can also wait beyond that and get Derek Carr. And I think at the same, at least at the same level and somebody that I've seen do it, Ben Roethlisberger, Daniel Jones, you know, all those guys around even later. Yeah, I guess like Tua just has the allure of the unknown where like, I feel like his upside's higher than Carr. We've kind of seen, you know, Carr ceiling at this point, I, I think. Um, or, or Tua again with these weapons and, I, you know, I, at least as a prospect, I think, you know, Tua beat Carr. So to, to me, there just fe- feels like there's a bit more upside with Tua. Yeah, I, I think Derek Carr has shown us the upside that I expect from Tua. I think they're both like, yeah. if they finish higher than QB 16, you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? That's fair. 
RB notes, Miles Gaskin drew 54% of Dolphins carries last year, 18.5% of the targets when he was healthy. Obviously, that target share is coming down. It was 11.6% in two of starts. The carry share, though, in those games was 68%. So, I mean, if you put all of it together, Miles Gaskin got workhorse level touches for those Dolphins last year. Now, there's certainly no guarantee that he does something similar this year. I certainly would not expect a 68% carry share. That That's a level that few running backs get to at this point in the NFL. But I mean, 50 plus percent of carries and anything around 10% of targets would be good for him. He finished 11th in PPR points per game last year, not a special performer um, efficiency wise, but you know, still looks like the best back in the Miami backfield. He definitely does. And you know, really last year, Miami, even when Ga- and, and like you said, when Gaskin was healthy, you know he was getting you know feature back workloads. And even when he wasn't healthy, you know Salvan Ahmed kind of got that. They that Miami had a tendency to kind of lean on one running back throughout last season. Now, like we said, it's a new new offensive coordinator, so maybe that's going to change. Gaskin, like you said, he was sort of just okay as a runner. He was good in the passing game though, eighty seven percent catch rate, nine point five yards per catch. He was third in yards per route run among thirty seven qualifying running backs. So. At minimum, I think he, he's locked in as the primary pass catcher here. And really, the offseason was a win for him, considering Miami only you know signed Malcolm Brown to a cheap one-year deal, didn't draft anyone until the seventh round, and you know, and they returned Salvan Ahmed. So I, I think the door is open there for, for Gaskin to maybe not get the same workload he got last season, but to at least be Miami's clear lead back. And again, I think you know that the pass catching stuff is definitely his. I agree. And he's slipping in ADP. I think he's a value where he's going. My problem with getting him is I usually have three running backs by the time that he makes it to me as a choice. So it's a little tough to just find room for him. You mentioned that they added Malcolm Brown in free agency. They drafted Jared Dokes, who there was a a stretch of excitement for him. I haven't heard much lately. Did return Salvin Ahmed. He didn't do a whole lot when Miles Gaskin returned healthy. Brown signed for 1.75 million, fully guaranteed. And he signed on the first day of free agency. So None of that is like guarantee significance this year, but it's clear that the Dolphins targeted him, brought him in for a reason. Brian Flores talked him up as an every down player, you know, says he can do all the things that they need him to do. So Malcolm Brown's not a guy to get excited about, but he's probably a guy that's going to get more snaps and touches than people would like for him to get here. Yeah. And the one area where Gaskin really struggled last year was at the goal line. Uh, And, you know, Brown's a, a bigger back. So I think there's a chance he vultures some touchdowns. Um, you know, that, that's not really enough to make, to make Brown a fantasy option. He might just kind of be a thorn in, in Gaskin's side. Yeah. I think Brown is somebody to toss onto a roster at the very end of a draft, mostly as a handcuff. And then we'll see if anything else comes out of that. He's basically the, the match for CJ Anderson and athletic profile. You're talking about thumper at the goal line, but they're, they're seriously like identical in athletic profile. I like it. Salvin Ahmed has some fans out there. I, I'm not one of them. He didn't do anything special last year. Negative ratings in both DR and DVOA for football outsiders. Yeah. And again, you know, when Gaskin was healthy, uh, Ahmed never topped nine touches in, in any of Gaskin's healthy games. So, you know, Miami clearly preferred Gaskin when he was healthy. Anything else from that backfield? You got any Jared Dokes notes or uh, Patrick I, yeah. Laird love? I don't know why people are drafting Jared Dokes. Like you know, he, he's big and athletic, but like he's a seventh round pick who had pretty poor college production. I, I just, I haven't understood that one. All right. We'll go on to pass catcher notes then. And uh, this is the most interesting area of this team, but I think it also carries a lot of questions. The big issue I think for everyone probably is injuries. As we speak, Devontae Parker and Will Fuller are dealing with injuries. Parker 
has been kind of in and out. Uh, Fuller, I don't believe, has practiced since the beginning of camp because of a soft tissue issue. Uh, Jalen Waddell had an ankle scare early, but he's been pretty good since then on the health front. And then behind them, Preston Williams is on the pup. Uh, Albert Wilson's been having a solid camp, but he's hurt right now. So, you know, we're going to have to answer all these injury questions before the drafts at the end of this month for fantasy owners. Yeah, I'm officially worried about Will Fuller. You know, he, he went down on July 28th and is still out. And there was one report that's a foot injury, but you know, there's been like no confirmation, no updates from the team. And, you know, again, it's been over two weeks now. So, and a guy with Fuller's injury history. Now he is suspended for week one anyways. So he has a little extra time, but I, I'm officially worried about Fuller. And he, he was the Dolphins wide receiver. I preferred um, I, th- I think he's still highest in our rankings now, but um, you know, he obviously comes with some risk. Parker's been back after you know, he missed the first few days of camp. He's back in there. He you know, Parker was much better with Fitzpatrick last year than he was with Tua. The, the volume was pretty similar. Uh, he actually averaged, you know, he was at 7.8 targets per game with Tua, 7.7 with Fitzpatrick, but he was just a lot more efficient with Fitzpatrick. So my, my concern with Parker is just, you know, does he have that rapport with Tua? Yeah, I mean, mean, we'll see on the rapport front. That's something we can't really answer until the games get started, maybe until the real games get started. We'll see. Uh, When they're all healthy, I'm not sure how much separation there's going to be among um, Will Fuller, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Parker, and the ADP has them separated right now. Will Fuller is at at wide receiver 43 in PPR drafts, according to the ADP on DraftSharks.com right now. Jalen Waddell's at wide receiver 46. Devontae Parker's at wide receiver 62. So to me – that alone makes Parker the easy leader at this point. And I, I've been taking shots on all three guys in best ball. As we get into lineup setting, though, it's it's kind of a situation I want to avoid because I, I do think they're all, you know, we don't have any of them projected for 100 targets. And I, I just think it's going to be, you know, pretty evenly evenly split. And, you know, this is not going to be a top five passing game. So I, I'm just not sure any of these three are going to be reliable on a week-to-week basis. I, I guess, you know, Waddle – is the guy I kind of excites me the most, like, you know, just sixth overall pick, you know, I, I, obviously the most explosive of the group. He, you know, he's more explosive even than Will Fuller, I think, and and has that rapport with Tua from their time together at Alabama. So I, I guess, you know, even at the ADPs, he, he's kind of the guy I might take a shot on in lineup setting league, just, just in case he emerges as the clear leader. Yeah. I mean, I think that there, none of them I think is going early enough for you to say, I got to stay away from him. For me, I agree though. It's just a situation. I don't want to plant a flag anywhere especially when I get to a lineup management league Mike Jacecki probably a better prospect than any of the wideouts for me at this point on this team considering who's going around him at tight end he leaped up the yards per route run rankings last season 11th among 48 qualifiers in that category after ranking 32nd among 44 the year before target share slightly higher into his eight starts last year so that can't be a bad thing and for fantasy obviously you like that Jacecki is more wide receiver than he is tight end. Did he officially lose the Jacecki tag from you? Is yeah, I'm, I'm ready to lose Jacecki. All right, he, he earned it. Yeah, like you said, I mean, he's improved every year so far. Um, he finishes a top seven fantasy tight end last year. And, and that was, you know, despite ranking only 12th among tight ends in targets. I think, you know, that, that'd be the concern for Jacecki this year is, you know, does he lose targets with these new wide receivers coming in? Um, but he saw just 85 last year. Like, I, you know, I think that's a number – he can get to. So um, I, I, I think he's definitely in that, you know, lower end tight end one mix. I'm definitely fine where he's going in drafts. Yeah. And I mean, he was highly volatile in putting up those fantasy points. So if he had settled in at like tight end seven in drafts this year, then I was prepared to be out on him again, but 
he's right in the bottom of that tight end one territory. So if you're taking him against guys like Robert Tunyon, Irv Smith, I mean, we're talking about guys that are probably going to be volatile week to week. Yeah, you know, Miami did add Hunter Long in the third round of the draft, and this is Gusecki's uh, final year of his rookie deal. So you, you kind of worry if he's like, you know, part of their long-term plans and if that's going to impact his 2021. Long also went down with a knee injury, though, a few days ago. We haven't, you know, heard any updates on the severity yet. But you know, I, I think Gusecki remains the clear leader here, but, you know, just something worth watching, I guess. Yeah, I, Hunter Long's not the kind of guy that I expect to make a huge year one impact, even at full health. So I think that I, I think Jasicki will maintain his role for this season, and then maybe whether he's with the team beyond that will de- will depend upon the financials of it. So it, it certainly doesn't concern me for twenty twenty one. Yep, I, I agree. Who I like here, there's really nobody that I'm targeting among Dolphins. I, I think Gaskin has the highest ceiling versus where he's going in drafts. But, I mean, there's also a chance that he ends up as food for the RB dead zone. Yeah, I, I'm with you. There's no one I like. There's no one I really dislike either. I think, you know, that they're these guys are fine where they're going. Again, in, in best ball, I have been taking, you know, Tua and one or two of his wide receivers just because I like the prices. I mean, all three of those wide receivers are outside the top 40 in ADP, you know, two is going outside the top 20 quarterbacks in ADP. So it's just, it's, it's been a nice cheap basketball stack, but you know, I'm, I'm less interested when you get into lineup setting leagues. I got, I guess, you know, Gaskin is probably my favorite lineup setting league target. If we're talking full PPR, because again, I do think he kind of has that role locked up. And I, I really think Gaskin's like, he, he's similar to, to Chase Edmonds in that way where we, you know, both, we, we feel good about both guys as their team's primary pass catcher is just, you know, not sure how the carries are going to go. And the way that you can use Miles Gaskin in lineup setting drafts is you can say, all right, do I want the running back or receiver here in round three? And if it's really that close and you can't decide, take the wide receiver and figure you can probably get Miles Gaskin in round five. And then, yep. you know, you ensure behind him just in case he disappoints. Yep. On the who I don't side, if, Fuller and Waddle haven't done it for me. I'll, I'll take a share here or there on a best ball roster, but uh, I'm uh, away from them in roster management leagues. I mean, right behind Will Fuller is Jarvis Landry in ADP. Mike mm-hmm. Williams is right in front of him. So, I mean, I'm not taking Will Fuller over either of those guys, at least with any regularity. And then Curtis Samuel, uh, Marquise Brown, Michael Gallup, Darnell Mooney, Elijah Moore are all behind Waddle. And I mean, I, I like each of those guys at least as much, if not more straight up against Waddle. Yeah. No arguments here. And you know, Fuller, I'm going to, I'm going to be off him until he gets back on the practice field here. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not like there's much injury history there to concern. You know? <laughs> right. New England Patriots, the coaching changes from nothing meaningful on the staff uh, here. We're in year 22 of Bill Belichick. We are in year 10 since Josh McDaniels returned to the team. Last year was easily the worst Patriots offense that either of those has been a part of. Uh, and probably it's just a coincidence that it was the first time McDaniels was there with no Tom Brady, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, this amazing to compare this offense to, you know, what, what it was under Brady is completely different. It was completely gross last year. And I, the run pass split will probably depend on how the quarterback battle sorts out, how soon they transition to Mac Jones. You know, I think we all figure it's going to happen at some point this year, but how soon is still kind of ambiguous. Only Baltimore went more run heavy last year and the Patriots went just 41% pass in their seven wins last year. So <laughs> If it's Cam Newton, I think we have to expect it to be no higher on the pass side than 50-50. If we get Mac Jones, I would bet on something more like a 57-43 split. Yeah, that sounds about right. And you know, I haven't projected right now for a 55% pass, and that's assuming like Mac Jones starts like two-thirds 
of the games, which I guess I'm a little less confident in now, you know, with the reports we're getting out of camp. It sounds like they're playing kind of to a draw so far, though I think, you know, Newton's still getting more of the first team reps. So I, at this point, I do expect Cam to be in there to start the season. I also still expect Mac Jones to get in there at some point, you know, just you know, when that's going to happen. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I projected them at 55-45 too. And, you know, this is an example of being careful when you're reading camp reports because you could get reports from different guys on the same day and one saying Mm -hmm. Cam Newton is clearly the leader. He's in first on all the drills. He's in first when it's uh, team workout portions. And then somebody else can say, Mac Jones does what Josh McDaniels wants the offense to do. It's only a matter of time until he's in there. So keep in mind that even somebody who's simply reporting what's happening in front of them is bound to have some biases, even if they don't um, realize it as they're reporting. So moving on to the QB notes, all factors obviously were working against Cam Newton last year, basically as much as they possibly could. He was coming off foot and shoulder injuries in Carolina. He did not sign until the end of June. He then had the COVID offseason in his first year with the team. So that limited his work and exposure to teammates and coaches. A brutal receiving core lost Julian Edelman after six games. The top two targets for the Patriots last year were Jacoby Myers and Demir Bird, who's not even with the team anymore. I mean, things have to be better for Cam Newton this year. Of course, it doesn't sound like, as you said, either of these quarterbacks is pulling away from the other as we have Cam Newton going against Mac Jones here. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Newton, though, is despite all that, he finished quarterback 20 in in fantasy points. You know, the guy averaged 177 passing yards and like a little over a half a touchdown passing per game. And he still finished quarterback 20 because of that rushing. You know, he ran it uh, 137 times for 592 yards, 12 touchdowns, which is that you have to project it to come down a bit. But Newton was also fourth in the entire NFL in carries inside the five yard line. You know, not, you know, fourth among the entire NFL, including running backs. You know, he had 19 carries inside the five yard line. He was sixth in the NFL in carries inside the 10. So to me, like Newton, if he's, you know, when he's starting this season, he, he's, Still going to be a fantasy factor, I think, because of that rushing ability. And, you know, Mac Jones, I don't think he's going to be a fantasy factor because I just think he's, you know, not going to give you anything with his legs. And I don't expect big passing totals from him. Yeah. I, I mean, neither, because of the uncertainty, I think neither is an option outside of super flex, two quarterback, or like third best ball QB kind of spot. But Newton, obviously, the much higher ceiling uh, fantasy option in those cases. Mac Jones, I agree. I, I, it's going to be tough for him to be fantasy relevant for himself. He's probably mm-hmm. better for the Patriots passing game options, though. Yeah, I think he's better for the passing game options and the backfield, which we you know we can get into here. That's right. RB notes and Damian Harris is up first. He's the leader of the backfield. And I agree. I think he probably needs Cam Newton to sit if he wants to approach his ceiling. Harris saw just 20% of Patriots red zone carries last year, according to Pro Football Reference. He saw 18% of their carries inside the tent, 11.5% of their carries inside the five. Now Granted, Damian Harris missed six games, but so did Miles Gaskin. And by comparison, Miles Gaskin saw 34% of Dolphins carries in the red zone, 35.6% inside the 10, and 31% inside the five. So basically tripling the share of Damian Harris in those regions. Right. Harris is just going to get a lot of empty touches if Cam Newton's still in there. He's going to get the the carries, you know, until they get to the you know 10 yard line. And he, you know, he's he's not going to do much in the passing game. You know, it, Harris is another case where I, I think he can work in the passing game, but New England just, you know, they don't do that. Their lead runner just does not contribute in the passing game. You know, they're going to keep using James White in that role. Harris had just seven targets all last season. 
Um, so now if Mac Jones gets in there, Harris starts getting the goal line carries. And then, you know, you're talking about a guy with some fantasy value, but if it's Cam Newton, I just think you're going to get, you know, 12 to 15 carries per game out of Harris, you know, pretty low touchdown chances and not much in the passing game. I agree. And Sony Michelle is apparently still a complication. Jeff Howe of the athletic calls him one B to Harris's one a says that Michelle is having the best training camp of his career so far. So, I mean, Sonny Michelle is either going to stick as part of this committee and what has been a committee for most of the time that we've seen Bill Belichick in new England, or I mean, at worst, all of this is just showcasing him as a trade option as he run as his rookie contract runs out. And in that case, he lands in a backfield that needs him. So even if you don't believe Michelle with the Patriots, he's going to be a factor for somebody's backfield. I think this season. Yeah. He's a guy I've started to take late in drafts, like super late, you know, like FFPCs that go beyond 20 rounds. I'm um, just like you said, like he either he's going to be a factor in new England or he's going to land somewhere else and, you know, ha- have a chance. He's a former first round pick. Like th- those guys tend to get multiple chances. So I don't, I don't think Michelle is, is bad quite yet. And he opened last year as a starter ahead of Damian Harris until he got hurt. Yep. Ramondre Stevenson ha- has been in a void for me ever since he landed in new England. Now the, the position coach for the Patriots says that Stevenson needs to work on everything. So, I mean, <laughs> that's just another vote plus the Sony Michelle stuff that I it, ignore Ramondre Stevenson this year. Yeah, definitely. I, I still think he has some intrigue as a dynasty stash. I mean, we, we see the page, Patriots do this. Like, Damian Harris did not hit the field as a rookie. They might kind of have similar similar plans for Stevenson where he just, you know, takes a red shirt this year. I, it does not look like he's going to be a factor in 2021. James White is a late-round factor still. Best ball flyer for me. I can't say that I'm too interested for lineup management leagues. I will get a little bit more interested if they name Mac Jones the starter before the season. But as long as Cam Newton's starting uh, – can't imagine starting James White in a fantasy lineup. Yep, that's exactly right. I think White needs Mac Jones under center. He needs, you know, the Pats to go back to more of that traditional offense. But, you know, James White remained super effective in the passing game last year. He was second in yards per route run and third in PFF receiving grade among 28 running backs with 40-plus targets. So you know, he, he can still do it. He just needs that opportunity. And, you know, if and when Mac Jones gets in there, I, I do think, you know, White – it's going to go back to, you know, someone who, you know, sees four or five, six targets a game. Pass catcher notes. There are individuals in here that can be intriguing, but it's way too crowded, I think, to be truly interesting. I, I mean, at this point, Johnu Smith looks most intriguing among the guys. There are reports of him getting plenty of targets from both quarterbacks. Hunter Henry's timeline, of course, is uncertain now coming off the shoulder injury. But, you know, it's just it's still too crowded. I'm not chasing Johnu Smith into the top 12 at the position if he gets there. No, I'm not chasing him into the top 12. You know, he's still outside of that in ADP. You know, he is my favorite bat among these pass, pass, pass catchers. I mean, you know, the Patriots went out like right when free agency opened and signed Jonu Smith, four-year, $50 million deal, and it makes him uh, – he's tied for the league's third highest paid tight end with Hunter Henry, actually, who, you know, signed the next day. And Jonu Smith, you know, he, he was, I think, disappointing relative to expectations in Tennessee last year. They kind of, you know, stuck with more of a – tight end committee than we wanted to see, but he was effective again, you know, 14th among tight ends in yards per route run after finishing seventh in 2019. So a guy I am still optimistic about and the Patriots obviously love him. So there's a chance that Smith leads this team in targets this year. Yeah. He was disappointing because of usage. I mean, whether that's his fault or the coach's fault, you know, tough for any of us to say Uh, the thing that makes me, the thing that keeps me from getting truly I guess excited about Johnny Smith is that even if Hunter Henry's shoulder is an issue, he's going to be back at some point. And like you said, they paid them basically the same thing. So 
I just think this is going to be a frustrating situation. You know, if you take Johnny Smith as tight end 14-15, cool, because you don't need that guy to go off for you. And maybe he does lead the Patriots in receiving this season. Yeah, you know, definitely a better best ball guy, I think, because you're right. I mean, when Henry's in there, the, the usage between those guys could be frustrating. I, I'm curious to see what this Patriots offense is going to look like. Like they're they're obviously going to be heavy two tight end sets after you know giving all that money to to Smith and Henry. I, I looked back though over the previous few seasons, like last year the Titans led the league in you know percentage of plays with two plus tight ends on the field at just 41 percent of their plays. The Eagles were up at 56% in 2019 as the league leader. The Eagles also led in 2018 at 42%. So you know, it, it's rare for a team to, you know, get much above 50% of their snaps with two tight ends on the field. So, you know, if, if that's the case, Smith and Henry both won't be fantasy factors, you know, if one of them's only on the field for half of the snaps. So I'm curious to see what it looks like. Yeah, you got to figure what they paid them that they're both going to be on the field quite a bit, especially with how much they like to run the ball. But, you know, it's just it, it adds to the crowd here. And, you know, talking about money, they also paid all that money to Nelson Aguilar, $11 million a year over a couple of years on his contract in free agency. So, I mean, I guess you got to consider Nelson Aguilar first among receivers, even though Jacoby Myers has been the one getting more positive press than anybody else really just I, I can't get myself truly interested in anyone in this group outside of late best ball shots. Yeah, late best ball shots on Jacoby Myers for me, you know, in full PPR. Um, you know, he, he was good last year, 10th in yards per out run among 84 wide receivers with 50 plus targets. The, the question with Myers, so, you know, if we think New England's going to go all those two tight end sets, that means they're only going to have two wide outs on the field. So, you know, are they comfortable using Jacoby Myers on the outside? And he, he did plenty of that last year. He was only in the slot. 52% of his snaps last year. So, you know, there, there's only going to be room for Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, and Kendrick Moore. Only two of those guys are going to be like, you know, full-time players here. So we'll, we'll see how that sorts out. Hopefully we get some clues in these preseason games. Yeah. And I was all set to like Jacoby Myers more before they paid surprising money to both Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne after having that season from Jacoby Myers. It just didn't, it doesn't make sense to me to do that if they like Jacoby Myers as much as his usage and production last year suggests that they should. Yeah, and you know, Belichick has obviously done a lot right in New England, but evaluating wide receivers is not something he, he's gotten right. So I don't think, you know, he gets the benefit of the doubt. And we should assume that, you know, Nelson Aguilar is now, you know, this number one wide out and Kendrick Bourne's this useful piece. Um, I, I think there's a chance that Jacoby Myers is still the best wide receiver on this team. Yeah. I, I think ultimately I just want to be out on the whole group and I'm yeah. not worried that somebody's gonna have, you know, 120 targets and catch 80 of them and score eight times. Agreed. Yep. Who I like, there's really not a single like here. It's just too crowded at every single position for such a low ceiling offense for me to plant a flag with anybody. Yeah, I'm with you there. No one I'm excited about. Um, you know, again, I think James White at RB50 in PPR is probably a value, and I think definitely a value if Mac Jones takes over. And then, and then Jonu Smith would be my second favorite Patriot target. You know, his ADP is somewhere around tight end 16 and uh, tight end 18, depending on, on the source. So, you know, at that price, you're taking him as a backup. And I think, you know, he, he could at least give you some, you know, spiked weeks this season based on his talent and just, you know, what, what the Patriots paid him. Mm -hmm. The guys I'm avoiding the most, I would say right now, Hunter Henry is probably the most hands-off because of the shoulder injury and, you know, uncertainty, even when he's healthy throughout draft season, though, I've been avoiding Damian Harris and his current PPR ADP, on DraftSharks.com, has him just ahead of Melvin Gordon, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, David Johnson, Zach Moss. And, it's, you know, he's he certainly – I'm not saying those guys are all ahead of him for me, but that's where Damian Harris belongs because of his situation. So 
it's become a range that I'm mostly just avoiding or I'll take whoever lasts beyond ADP rather than targeting any single player. And even if you look right behind that group, we've got AJ Dillon, we've got James Conner, Gus Edwards. And those are the kinds of guys that might have a lower floor because we don't know what their carry projection is initially, but they also probably have higher ceilings because if one guy goes down in any of those three offenses, those guys could feast. Yeah. Harris has been the avoid for me, you know, especially talking full PPR. Um, you know, when you get into half PPR on like underdog, he, he becomes a bit more interesting. I think he's, you know, okay in non PPR. I'm not sure where his ADP is there, but if he, if it's around RB 30 and non PPR, that makes more sense. But again, you, you know, he's not going to do anything in the passing game. Um, if Mac Jones takes over, then, you know, Harris will be more interesting, but I think, again, I think early in the season, it's going to be Cam Newton and that's, that's going to make Harris a guy who I would not want to be using in, in starting lineups. Yeah, I agree with that. New York Jets to close things out here. Jared, tell me what's new about this coaching staff. Oh, thank God, you know, Adam Gase is finally gone. And I think, you know, that that's that's big. Even you know, we don't know. So so it's Robert Sala at, at head coach. He's a defensive mind. Mike LaFleur at offensive coordinator. You know, we don't know much about LaFleur. Um, but I, I just think getting Gase out of there is gonna be an upgrade for this offense. So Michael Fleur, 34 years old, which, you know, make, makes me feel bad that he, he's an OC and he's a year older than me. And I'm, I'm just, you know, doing this. Um, he is Matt LaFleur's brother. Mike has worked under Kyle Shanahan since 2014. So, you know, that that's kind of the coaching tree he's coming from. No play calling experience in the NFL. He has a few years of experience calling plays at uh, St. Joseph's and at Davidson, you know, in the college ranks. So, you know, lower end college program. So, you know, not a whole lot to go on here. I think you just sort of think he's going to model his offense kind of again off that, you know, Kyle Shanahan scheme. Hey, and Davidson to the pros worked for Steph Curry. So it should be fine for Michael Floor. Right? Mm-hmm. We we should probably do like an Adam Gase tribute and do this entire team with our eyes darting around the screen like that for the, <laughs> for the screen. What do you think? I, I'm not capable of doing that. <laughs> Michael Floor comes here as the passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach in a run favoring offense. So I mean, we'll see what that means for what he prefers as in terms of run-pass split. The Jets look better set up to pass than run. Um, yeah. They're third from the bottom in Vegas projected win totals. So I, I think that we should probably expect this team to lean pass. I wonder how much they want to pass with a rookie quarterback starting for the first time. For projections, I just I, I put them at 58-42. Um, I think they would like to probably fall short of 60%, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go well past 60%. Yeah, I agree with all that. I have them at 58% too. And I do think, you know, situation neutral pass rates probably going to be lower with, you know, a defensive minded head coach and a rookie quarterback and all that. But this, this is going to be, you know, a bottom end team. So I think game script is going to you know force them to pass it a bit more. QB note, Zach Wilson looks like the top bust candidate, I think for everybody among the top four quarterbacks, you know, if we're looking at them and saying somebody's going to bust just, Historically speaking, he's the one that people pick. And, you know, it's because he had just one strong year of play slash production at BYU. He didn't really have to deal with much adversity there. He had terrific blocking. He had weak opponents. Then he landed with a traditionally struggling franchise. You know, all that said, there's clearly plenty of talent with Zach Wilson. He seems like a smart guy. He's saying the right things here. And they've put some solid receivers around him to begin. They have. Yeah. I, I like the wide receiver core and, you know, we'll get to Michael Carter. He can do some stuff in the passing game. You know, this entire offense, you're, they're going to have four rookies playing, you know, massive week one roles in Zach Wilson, uh, Michael Carter, wide receiver, Elijah Moore, and then, you know, the guard, Elijah Vera Tucker that they took in the first round. So just a super young offense. I'm not interested in Wilson 
for lineup setting leagues and like basketball, the case for him is like, he goes so late and you know, he's going to be in there for week one. He's very likely going to start all 17 games if he stays healthy. So you, you kind of have that just setting a floor. If you're looking for like a late quarterback two or quarterback three in best ball. And maybe the best case for him is Elijah Moore, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Yes. Running back notes, Michael Carter is the fantasy hope here, but it's probably bad for him that he's going way ahead of the rest of the Jets' backfield and drafts. I had J.J. Zacharyson on the podcast Tuesday, as I mentioned, where he talked about his research into mid-round breakout running backs and also something that he has addressed on his own podcast where I heard it first. Uh, Basically, though, the takeaway for us here is that Mid-round running back breakouts historically come from ambiguous backfields, and that's like a backfield where a couple of guys are going fairly close together in those middle rounds, and ADP has generally done a good job of picking the first guy that ends up being the guy that performs better, just historically speaking. When the running backs are more spread out, one guy's going early, and you know, even in the middle rounds, round five, six, seven, if the next guy is going way later then that first guy has not fared so well. And that's what we're looking at here. And I mean, even if you just step back from the particular situation, logically it it makes sense because a split like that means that we don't love the player. We don't love the situation. Otherwise Michael Carter would be going earlier than he is. So you're buying a relatively unexciting player from a bad situation. And that's just not generally a recipe for fantasy success. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Carter is just that the competition is so ugly. You know, it's it's all these holdovers from the previous regime, like Ty Johnson, Michael Piron, Josh Adams. And, you know, they, they signed Tevin Coleman, who has a lot of experience in, you know, again, that Kyle Shanahan running scheme. So that's kind of the mark in his favor. And he's just like a veteran who's, you know, been around, gotten decent-sized workloads. But, you know, he's, he's 28 years old now. He was, you know, had 28 carries last season. He was hurt all year. wasn't good when he did get the ball. And he, he got just, you know, he got less than half a million guaranteed on his one-year deal. So, you know, the contract says, you know, he's not probably not even a lock to make the team. So, and, and then, you know, Carter already running with the first team offense in training camp. Multiple beat writers have said, you know, he looks like the team's best running back. It's going to be a committee. Like Carter is probably never going to be, you know, a workhorse back. He's just, you know, he's a bit undersized, but I feel confident in him leading this backfield in targets right out of the gate. And I think there's a decent chance he leads it in carries, even if it's, you know, not as a, you know, heavy rushing workload guy, but, you know, a guy who gets, you know, 12, 13, 14 carries a game. He's certainly the top fantasy option here. And at RB 31 and ADP, it's certainly not a terrible price. Mid round eight. Uh, Tevin Coleman, though, is the next Jets running back off the board. And he's going nine and a half rounds later. I I mean, I'm not going to tell anybody to not take Michael Carter, but I just I don't have any reason to get excited about taking Michael Carter. Yeah, I do think he's fine in the range he's going. I just generally haven't been taking running backs there. I'm usually taking, you know, wide receivers, even tight ends. You know, it's kind of like the Noah Fant, Dallas Goddard, Tyler Higby type of territory. So I, I don't have a ton of Carter, but, you know, if you're looking for a running back there, again, I, I do think you know, he, he's, you know, he's not to me much dissimilar to like Chase Edmonds where, you know, I think Carter kind of has that passing game role locked up and then, you know, the, the carries we'll see, but, but there's a chance again that, that he leads the Jets and carries. And that's probably a good comparison in that the upside you're looking for is like RB24 level. Yep. Well, Michael Pirine, Ty Johnson, I wouldn't be surprised if they turn in relevant fantasy weeks this season, but I'm not at all interested in them unless it's a very deep league at draft time. No, me either. You know, it, it has been Coleman running with the first team alongside Michael Carter. So it does look like, you know, they're going to open the season as the Jets' top two backs. Pass catcher notes, a much more interesting area for the Jets than the, the backfield is. And for me, it's Elijah Moore and everyone else, at least for fantasy consideration. 
I don't know how the targets are going to be spread around in this offense. I don't know how much the team is going to end up passing. So I'm just going to chase who I think is the top talent, especially if he is a versatile player. He checked all of the prospect boxes that we look for in wide receivers. The team has said that they considered him a first round level talent would have looked at him if they had uh, stayed at that spot instead of moving up for Elijah Vera Tucker in round one. He's been lighting up practices since he arrived by multiple reports. And I mean, Elijah Moore's ADP has climbed, but he's still wide receiver 52 in our PPR ADP. He's wide receiver 51 in FFPC main event ADP. So I just think at that level, he's the kind of player that I could see at being a win rate leader by season's end. And he's still going at a low risk price. Yeah, I am so surprised his ADP has not climbed more. Like he he's been the buzziest player in fantasy football since the spring. Like you know, since the moment he stepped on the field, and you know, in spring workouts, you know, he was dominating, and that's continued into training camp. I, I think it's just because he's on the Jets. Like you know, people just can't get excited about someone on the Jets. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's nice when someone is this good in the offseason when we, you know, thought he was that good of a prospect to begin with. Like, like you said, you know, he more checked the production box in a big way. He tested really well. The tape looks awesome. Um, I don't know if you saw Daniel Jeremiah compared him to Tyler Lockett, which, you know, a guy we love. And I, I think it's a good comparison, you know, a bit undersized, but ex- explosive on the short stuff ex- can get downfield as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm not like convinced Elijah Moore is going to lead this team in targets. I still, still think there's a chance it's Corey Davis. Um, but I, you know, again, we can get into Davis, but I, I've been taking both of those guys because they're, they're both going super late. And I just, again, I just think this Jets offense is not going to be a disaster, you know, with, with Adam Gase finally out of the way. Yeah, and that's the thing. If Elijah Moore was like wide receiver 35 in ADP, right. you'd be saying, I'm sure he's going to lead the team in targets. But at wide receiver 52, you're like, if I have to pick somebody to lead this team in targets, it's Elijah Moore. It might not happen. But if it does, then he could really pay off from where I'm taking him. Like, is Elijah Moore's fantasy ceiling for this season really any lower than Jamar Chase's? No, it's not. That's where I'm at on him too. So give me the Corey Davis case. Yeah, I mean, Corey Davis has a lot of – haters you know he's been I think it's fair to say for the majority of his career so far he's been disappointing um, but I, I think you know, there are reasons for that he's had some injury stuff he was on some you know bad Titans passing games Titans teams that you know just haven't passed it much in general but I mean he, he's still only 26 years old you know he was the fifth overall pick of his draft you know he had a good prospect profile and he's coming off a really nice year in Tennessee you know he finished 29th among wide receivers in PPR points in 14 games but you know, he was fifth in yards per route run among 84 qualifying wide receivers. You know, we know yards per route run is like one of the most predictive metrics. And then he gets the big three-year, $37.5 million deal in free agency. I mean, I, I think, you know, when the Jets signed that, him to that deal, they were, you know, signing him to be the number one wideout. Maybe that's changed now with, you know, how good Elijah Moore has been. But, you know, Davis is locked in as at least the number two target in this passing game. And, again, I still think there's a chance he, he leads the team in targets. Yes, I will absolutely agree that there is a chance. And it's, it was an especially large contract versus what was a disappointing market for free agent wide receivers. So if they had not drafted Elijah Moore, I would be all over Corey Davis as a value. I'd be curious to know what his ADP would be if they didn't draft Elijah Moore, you know, along with Jamison Crowder. I wonder if it would still be Corey Davis battling Jamison Crowder in ADP and both of them low because nobody wants to draft Jets. But, yep. you know, we don't get to see that. So I agree for best ball purposes – Mixing in some Corey Davis for roster management in season. I'm probably going to be pounding Elijah Moore when they have the same uh, ADP, but at the same time admitting that there's a chance Corey Davis just outproduces him this year. 
Yep. You know, recent ADP, Elijah Moore, wide receiver 50, Corey Davis, wide receiver 54. Again, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to continue drafting these guys in lineup setting leagues. I think, you know, again, both guys, or at least one of them, you know, they're, are going to see enough volume to be guys. I think we can trust even in lineup setting leagues. And I mean, it's the kind of pair that you can just, you could grab both of them at say yep. like the round 10, 11, 11, 12 turn, whatever it ends up being in your draft. And maybe one of them emerges as the clear target leader. Maybe they stay close all season, you know, Maybe it ends up being frustrating where you can't figure out week to week who's going to get more targets and produce, but that's a situation that you can go ahead and buy as your wide receiver five and six. Definitely. Jameson Crowder, I think, is fine late. It's tough to make a strong case for him, given that they did add Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, and there are only so many targets to go around, but, you know, an okay late shot. Yeah, this, this Jets wide receiver core beyond Moore and Davis has been tough to figure out. Like, you know, the early reports had Keelan Cole running with the starters. And then it was like, you know, they kicked Elijah Moore to the outside and Crowder was back in, in the starting lineup in the slot. And then, you know, Denzel Mims has you know reportedly kind of come back to life. I guess, you know, he got food poisoning this spring and lost like 15 pounds. <laughs> I think, you know, that, that probably had a lot to do with his struggles, um, you know, in, in mini camp and stuff, but, you know, supposedly the past few days of training camp, he's looking better. So you don't totally count him out yet either. And we've got many viewers and listeners now saying, oh, I wish I could get food poisoning. I could stand to lose 15 pounds. Right. Yeah, yeah, you just eat eat some bad sa- salmon, I guess. I guess that's what he did to, to lose the weight. <laughs> bad salmon is always the way to go if you're looking to get yourself sick, I think. Chris Herndon, I think, is the last guy worth really mentioning here. He's still in play, I think, as a tight end three for best ball. But, I mean, other otherwise, I'm out with no buzz around him right now. I'm out on Herndon. You know, I got probably too many shares, like, early, you know, back in the winter drafting um i don't know it just sounds like it's been ugly for him and you know after what we've seen the past few years maybe that you know maybe maybe hernan's rookie year was the outlier and you know maybe he's just not good you know uh, it's you know supposedly been tyler croft running ahead of hernan as the jet starter so until we get some good news on Herndon, i'm just out on him yeah i mean maybe he's gonna turn into austin safarian jenkins here sad who i like i mean guess it's elijah moore it's the only jet i really like and i'm gonna wind up with plenty of them by the start of the season Yes, I'm. I'm trying to scoop up as much more as I can right now. Um, it, this offense in general just is super. It might be the cheapest offense in the NFL. Again, you have you know no wide receivers higher than wide receiver 50 in ADP. Uh, you know Zach Wilson's quarterback 26, Michael Carter running back 29. So I, I've been I've been taking some shots on a lot of these Jets. Again, I, ju- I just think I don't think it's going to be a I don't even think it's going to be a top half of the league NFL offense, but I think it could be you know 20th or 22nd, which would be you know a pretty big improvement from what we saw under Adam Gase the past couple of years. And especially with game scripts that should favor passing volume. I think that should help yep. the values across the board. Yep. The who I don't side, I mean, there's no strong dislike because as you mentioned, nobody is really all that expensive. Michael Carter is not somebody I've been drafting or targeting a, a share here or there, but my biggest problem probably in taking him is why should I take him over Trey Sermon in the same range? Right. Yeah, that, that's fair. I haven't drafted a ton of Michael Carter. I also don't mind where he's going. The, the only dislike for me, you know, has kind of become Chris Herndon. It's sad. Uh, I wanted to give him one more chance, but I, th- I think, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta adjust. So, you know, the news that's coming in and I've adjusted and I've, I've jumped ship on uh, Chris Herndon. And it's at least it's easier to toss a tight end three overboard from your fantasy <laughs> drafting. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's going to do it for this final episode of the divisional preview series. Head over to draftsharks.com now, see exactly how we project every player that we discussed today. Put those, put our projections 
uh, to work in our shiny new draft war room. Uh, we will sync with your league. We will give you customized rankings to fit your specific format. Join us tonight for the last stream in the Draft Sharks Invitational Series of Drafts. Another loaded room of drafters going at it tonight. You should also join us in the free Draft Sharks Discord. The link is out there in basically every podcast post at this point. Lots of discussion there. And we're drafting a crowdsourced FFPC main event team there. So you can help craft that team with us by voting at every single turn in the draft. So join us. Come on board. Talk. Do whatever you want in there. Unless it's spam, then we're going to boot you. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.